0: Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Kenmore, New York. For more information about Knox Church, visit our website at knoxepc.com or email us at office at knoxepc.com. To request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. Right after
1: church, they can take your picture in the Welcome Center. That would be great. Let's open our Bibles today to Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9, we'll be reading verses 13 through 17 this morning. Please rise as we receive God's holy word today. Starting with verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send you all my plagues upon you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been put off you would have been cut off from the earth but for this purpose i have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth you are still exalting yourself against my people and you will not let them go may god bless his reading today please have a seat it's always kind of fun as a pastor to go up to somebody and put them on the spot with a little quiz and ask them, do you know the ten plagues of Egypt? And you will see how quickly people go, oh yeah, I remember all ten. I was in Sunday school 400 years ago. I remember those little flannel boards. and The, ten. the confidence people have that they think they can recite all ten plagues. And you say, okay, well, tell me all ten. They'll get about to eight, and then the sweat will come out on their brow, right? They're, they'll be like, I know I know them. And, uh, you know, occasionally somebody will get all ten. But generally, we think we know more than we actually do remember. And it's like that with the Ten Commandments, too. We can get about to seven or eight, and then we're missing a couple, and we need a refresher course. And so that's what we want to do this morning, is be a bit of a refresher. And we call them the ten plagues. But what's really interesting in the book of Exodus is that while they are called plagues, they are also called by something else. That God calls them signs and wonders. You see, a plague, we might think, that had the mental connotation that God was sending the plagues to somehow change Pharaoh's mind, to break through his stubbornness. But let's not forget, God had already told Moses and Aaron, he said, guys, Pharaoh is not going to relent. His heart will be too hard I will show him these signs and wonders, but he will not turn. So the purpose of these were not to break Pharaoh's will, were not to turn him around, but rather God was doing two things at the same time. He was presenting a divine judgment upon the government and the people of the land of Egypt. And he was also, as we just read, showing a sign that he alone as true authority and power over all the world. This was a very painful object lesson to learn. But it had to be done because Pharaoh was the one who was already claiming authority. That he alone was at the center of Egyptian life. He was the one who had the highest throne. He was the one that everybody, every, His name was on everybody's lips. That they looked up to him for peace and prosperity. And he said, I am a god. I am the one who's to be worshipped. I am the one whose voice goes out and who must be obeyed. And if that wasn't enough, blasphemy. The people of Egypt also had 80, I did not, I'm not 18, not 8, 8 zero, 80 major gods that they worshipped. 80 of them. And these gods, if you really wanted to break them down, were centered around one of three categories. They worshipped gods that were centered around the River Nile, around the land, or around the sun. And all these gods, so the, the, man, the land had so much in the way of worshiping of other gods that are, the true God said, this cannot stand any longer. They have to know that there is none like me in all the earth. And so I will give them signs and wonders so that at the end of this, there will be no mistake who's really in charge who's really in control. You read that again in chapter 9, verse 14. I will send all my plagues upon you yourself, upon your servants and your people, so that you may know that there's none like me in all the earth. And we need a refresher course on that too because we start to think that there are other authorities that are maybe sort of high up, maybe on God's level, maybe even a little above in all the earth. And we need to remember that there is none but God that all authority is his and all authority that we may have is given from him for a short time. So because our memories are fuzzy, I want to quickly go through the nine plagues. Take us on a journey and and you kind of dust off those memories of Sunday school of long past. So as we look at chapters 7 through 9, an interesting way to look at it is like, this is a reverse of the Genesis creation account. In Genesis, God is creating out of nothing. His, his word comes and things spring up and come to life. And in Exodus chapter 7, 8, and 9, we see an unmaking, a destruction. Remember in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Colossians chapter 1, it says that by Jesus all things were made and all things are sustained and have their being. And what the Son holds in his hand and keeps together, the Son can easily take apart. And so that's what we see here in Exodus, that he's taking apart, he's unmaking for his benefit. So the first sign, the first wonder we have is the water of the river Nile turning to blood, turning to this thick, red, bloody uh, amount. And of course, the fish in the Nile, these, the animals that live there that depend upon it, start to die in great amounts. An effect on Egyptians was... Probably a lot like a few weeks ago, when we had the gas prices start to spike up. They haven't really come back down, have they? But that that first day when we suddenly saw gas shoot up like a whole dollar virtually overnight, there's that thought that came into our mind. Like, what if suddenly the United States of America couldn't get gas? What would happen to our economy? What would happen to our lives? Everything was shut down overnight in a horrible way. That's what happened to Egypt. The the River Nile was its lifeblood. They depended on it for their water, for their sanitation, for their food. They worshipped it. It was right at, literally at the center of everything they were. And now it is this dead red mass. Then, after that, came my favorite, my personal favorite plague, the frogs. apparently the frogs didn't mind the the bloody water because they come out hopping out of the Nile and they come out in swarms. I love this. As a kid, I thought this is the greatest plague ever. Why can't this plague happen here? It'd be so cool. Suddenly there's frogs everywhere. Well, the children of Egypt might have been delighted, but I'll tell you, there's some moms and dads who are not too pleased that frogs are hopping around in their pots and in their pans. And in a great little twist in the Bible, a blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment, that God sends the frogs to hop up and down on Pharaoh's head while he takes a nap. It's God's way of saying, hey, who's really in charge here? You or the guy who's making Kermit hop on your head right now? I'm in charge, right? The third plague starts to get more gross. The third plague moves from the Nile, from focusing on the Nile. Now we're on the land. And suddenly swarms of bugs Start crawling all over people. In the Bible, your translation probably says gnats, but most scholars think it wasn't gnats. Gnats kind of buzz around. What this probably was, because it was talking about crawling, was either mosquitoes or lice. Take your pick. And the Bible says they were so thick they were crawling into people's mouths and ears. And we're all squirming, so let's move on to the next plague, right? But along that same line is the fourth plague, which are the flies. And if you can imagine how annoying one fly is when it buzzes into your house and is zipping around and making a little hello, what's up? That little noise, that's annoying, that's distracting. Imagine 10 flies, 50 flies, 100 flies in your room, and now you're talking about the kind of annoyance, the headache-inducing stress that these flies cause. And we see an escalation of plagues. We see the intensity continue to ratchet up. As God goes along, it starts from mildly annoying, but it gets serious fast. And we see that intensity getting really crazy when we get to the fifth plague here. And it's now that God strikes dead Egyptians' livestock. Horses, donkeys, camels, sheep stand up in the morning, and they collapse. And they're dead. And now... I want you to just take a pause and realize that we've had the Nile die, and so we've had heaping uh, masses of rotting fish everywhere. We've had dead frogs because at the end of that plague, God kills all the frogs, but it says there are mounds of frogs left everywhere. Who gets to clean up that mess? I don't know. And now there are, there are dead beasts all over the place. Egypt is a cesspit. It is full of stench and disease. And this is only the fifth plague. It gets crazier from there. Plague six is a rash of boils that strikes the people all across the country. And here it goes from the plagues being in nature around them to the plagues directly affecting the people. And this was particularly galling of Pharaoh because Pharaoh was the one who was supposed to protect the health and the lives of the people. And he can't do that. And even Pharaoh himself has these oozing, painful blisters and sores all over his body. And then it's like the apocalypse hit with the seventh plague. And here we get the heaviest hailstorm that Egypt has ever known. In fact, if you read the text, it's not just hail. Hail's bad. I used to live in Colorado, and I'll tell you, every car in Colorado had a quilt or a comforter in the back of the car. Because if we saw hail, we knew it was serious. We'd run out and we'd cover the car. Because otherwise you'd have hail punching its way right through your glass and your windshield. But this it was far beyond that. The Bible says it wasn't just hail. It was fire and hail and thunder coming down. It was the scariest storm you've ever seen. It was so terrible that if you were caught outside, these, the, the hail was so big it would kill you. The Bible says it killed animals. It killed people caught out in the middle of the open. And suddenly now it's no longer even slightly funny. And you think at the end of this hailstorm that has wiped out all the crops of Israel that there would be nothing left to eat. But that's not true. The people of Egypt thought we've got, a, we've got one last hope because there's one crop that comes in late and that's wheat. And so there's a little bit of wheat and the wheat starts to grow and then God sends the eighth plague the locusts, and the locusts hop, and they eat, and they chew, and if you've ever watched a YouTube video where you've seen an actual locust host, you know it's absolutely one of the most terrifying things to be caught in the middle of. And now, with the Nile obliterated, with the land obliterated, God turns to the sun, and for the ninth plague, he takes the sun, this object of worship for all Egyptians. And he quenches it for three days. He plunges them into such utter, total darkness that the Bible says that people crawled into their houses and they stayed there for three days. Makes you think of Jonah. Makes you think of uh, Paul, doesn't it? Three days in utter darkness. How terrifying that would be. Kids calling out for their mothers and for fathers. Parents going, we don't know what to do. We can't go work. We can't do anything. They're shaking in terror. And at the end of these nine signs, the end of these nine wonders, these plagues, Egypt is ruined. It is in tatters. Its people are either dead or they're shaking in fear. And now there's no doubt that there's none like God in all the earth. And showing that the world that he was God through the plagues, our Lord also accomplished three important missions that I want to share with you today, because I think that what we can get out of the plagues, other than acknowledging who God is, is that his three missions really carry over into all of Israel, the life of Israel, and into the church age, into our lives today. There's something in our daily walk we can take away from the the nine plagues here, and I want to share that. The first mission that God accomplished was that he established his authority over all earthly power, this is important for us to know. Pharaoh didn't know it. Pharaoh lived his life up to this point with one undeniable fact, that he alone was the center of the universe. I know some of you are married to the center of the universe, but no, it's not true. Pharaoh thought he was the center of the universe. He thought everything revolved around him, that he was a God-man. He was the one who made plants grow. He was the one that protected people. The new child was born... Hey, he did that. He was amazing. There was no one above him, no one comparable to his greatness. And therefore, it must have been the rudest of all rude awakenings when God, nine times over, stripped him of this delusion in his life that he had even the slightest effect on everything that goes on around him. That God tells him in chapter nine, the verses that we read, he said, Pharaoh, you wouldn't even be on the throne if I didn't put you there for my purpose, my will. You serve me, even if you don't bow to me, you still serve me. And yet this king kept hardening his heart. And we read he kept, keeps refusing to bow. He'd have moments, we do read of moments, right, where he almost seems like he's going to relent, like he's pretending to repent. But the second that God backs off, God takes the plague away, his heart is hard once again. We talked about that last week about the hard heart of Pharaoh. And his stubborn and hateful attitude returns. And as the plagues continue, uh, I find another really funny thing in this passage, that Pharaoh tries to negotiate with God. Have you ever done that? How'd that work out for you? Not so well. God does, God's like America. America doesn't negotiate with terrorists. God doesn't negotiate with people. He doesn't negotiate. And we think every, everything's up for negotiation. You call a manager over, ah, we can negotiate this. Pharaoh said, thinks, well, at least I can negotiate with God. He says, well, Moses and Aaron, you guys want to leave and go worship? You can worship God right here. You don't have to leave. Worship him in your neighborhood. God says, that's not good enough. Then Pharaoh says, well, the men can go, but the women and the kids have to stay. God says, no, all of them. And then Pharaoh says, on a later plague, Well, all the people can go, but their livestock need to stay. God says, no, they need that too. He keeps trying to negotiate. And he says, with me, Pharaoh, it's all or nothing. And that's like with us and God right now. It's all or nothing. You're either all in with God or you're not. He doesn't accept a middle ground where you negotiate what sins you're going to hold on to in your life. Well, parts of your life you want to hold back from God and keep to yourself. But God, you can have the rest. You can have my leftovers. You really expect God to be so overwhelmed that you're giving him your leftovers? He says, no, all or nothing. And this is something we should take away, that God says, you know, Pharaoh, we're going back and forth, and it's kind of funny, it's kind of amusing right now, but in the end, I'm going to win. And in the end, you will break, and you will break hard so maybe you should right now be all in with me. If we're in with God, we obey him, we love him, and we follow him no matter what the cost is. And we don't negotiate. The next mission that God accomplished through the plagues is he triumphed over the tricks of Satan. He triumphed over Satan. And tucked into this account, it's almost like a secondary story, but I think a lot of us uh, get really interested in this where we look at the magicians of Pharaoh's court. We don't know how many they have, but we know Pharaoh employed some magicians. And as Moses and Aaron start performing signs and wonders, the magicians step up and go, we can do that too. And so Moses turns a staff into a snake, and they turn a the staff into a snake. And Moses' snake swallows up their snake. And that's uh, okay. They're like, well, all right, your snake's a little bit better. But well, we, we see that as they're duplicating these wonders, we're never really told explicitly, and I have people ask me this. They say, what, how are they doing this? Is it sleight of hand trickery? Do they have some you know, illusions, like when we go and see stage magicians today? They don't really use magic, it's illusions. Or are they actually appealing to witchcraft? We don't know. You could make an argument in either case. But in either case, they are definitely agents of Satan. They are not standing for God. They are defying God, and they are working for Satan. The Bible tells us outright that Satan cannot perform his own signs and wonders. That only God can do this. But the Bible also says Satan can perform counterfeit miracles. He can do things that are almost that trick you into thinking that they're the real deal. That, so there are these tricks that Satan can do. And indeed, here in this passage we see, the magicians can turn water into blood or some sort of red-like substance, that they can summon up frogs. And so Pharaoh goes, hey, my guys can do it, what you're doing, so why should I even listen to God? A couple quick interesting things about this. First of all, the magicians can't countermand God's signs and wonders. They can't clean up the Nile. They can't summon a magic spell to take the frogs away. They can just add to it. So even in their defiance of God, they are serving God. They're adding to the plague. They are going more in. And I find that even kind of funny, that even the enemies of God serve the will of God in this. The second really quick thing is that the magicians come to their limits. And they come to their limits early on. There's, we've gone through nine plagues today. They come to their limit at plague two. By plague three, they can't do it. They, they, the Bible says in chapter eight, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats, the bugs, on man and beast. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Isn't it interesting even when God's enemies testify about the power of God? about who God is. This is the finger of God. A chapter after that, in chapter 9, the Bible tells us that the magicians couldn't even come to court anymore because they themselves were covered with boils and sores. Even evil that defies and spits in the face of God ultimately acknowledges the true authority of the Lord. Let's never forget that. In the world today, Satan is performing his little tricks, his counterfeit miracles. He's trying to sway the weak-minded those who aren't really deep in the word. But we can always use these opportunities to point people to the true authority, to the one who can really perform signs and wonders. And we need to do that in our testimony. Finally, the third mission that God accomplishes is that he shields his people from harm. Because in the middle of this account, as God is bringing divine judgment These nine plagues, and I know you're sitting there thinking, which one of these would be the worst one to sit through? As he's doing this to the Egyptians, from the the mightiest Pharaoh down to the the lowest little grunt working on the street, God is also protecting and shielding his chosen people. And we see this again and again. When the flies come in chapter 8, God keeps them out of Goshen, where the uh, Israelites are living. When the livestock of Egypt die, guess whose livestock doesn't die? When the firestorm and hailstorm approaches, God warns everybody in Israel, says, go inside and stay there, seek shelter immediately. And when the darkness smothers the Egyptians, the Hebrews enjoy the three balmiest days of sunshine they've ever had in their life. God is driving home this point that he is God, that there's none like him. But at the same time, he's upholding the covenant relationship that he has between him and his people. That he is loving them. That he is shielding them. That he's saying, outside of me is death and disease and darkness. But in my arms, where you are, is light and life. Where would you rather be? That's the real question. Now, which plague would I want to go through? Do I want to be on the outside of God's arms or on the inside? Do I want to be in that covenant relationship with him right now to have Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior? Or do I want to be in defiance out there with Pharaoh and the Egyptians saying, I want to worship some other God. Maybe I want to worship myself as God and see where that brings you. I'm sure the Egyptians tried to flee when things went south, when all these plagues broke out. But they would find that there was no place in the land where the bugs And the frogs and the darkness couldn't find them. But the Israelites found their safety and their equilibrium in the Almighty God. And when we're tempted to flee, when things go bad in our life, and there's that instinct that kind of kicks in. However you flee, you flee into entertainment, you run away from people, you block them out, get into a car and you start driving until you're in Tijuana. However you try to flee, that's not the right way to do it. God says, come into my arms instead. Hold on to me when things get really rough, when you don't know from day to day how you're going to make it through. Come into my arms and you will find safety and equilibrium and I will center you. It's not like God didn't already show us who he was or what he meant to us. When he gave us the greatest sign and the greatest wonder that we celebrate on Easter morning in a couple weeks, that should always remind us that we have hope in him, that he is the God. God. And we are His people. Let's pray. Dear Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, may we be humbled as we take this quick tour through all the plagues to see the immensity of Your power over all of creation. We know, Lord, this is just a sliver, a barest fraction of what You can do. For You made the universe. You made us. Lord, may we all never forget that, that You are God. The Lord, please humble us when we defy you, when we try to erect idols in our lives.
0: To reach out to Pastor Justin, email him at pastor at knoxepc.com. Our mailing address is Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship Sundays at 1030 a.m. either at Knox Church or on our live stream at facebook.com. Forward slash Knox EPC. Past sermons can be found at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.